This is The Guardian. Today, the world's most important climate change summit and the oil company's CEO who's running it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Damien Carrington is an environment editor with The Guardian. And a few weeks ago, he was working on a story about the next UN Climate Change Summit, which will be held in the United Arab Emirates. So I had sent a request for comment to the COP28 office, as journalists often do, saying, what do you think about uh, these negative comments that somebody had made about their uh, efforts? And this is where this story starts to get a bit strange. I got the response and then kind of stamped across the top of the email with the words, ADNOC classification colon internal. Now, ADNOC is the state oil company for the UAE, and so that was the initial alarm bell that was raised. Why would an email to a climate change summit have the markings of the UAE's state oil company? About five months until COP28 begins, in the middle of another searing Northern Hemisphere summer, the answer only raises more questions and is a warning that one of the world's most important annual meetings might have lost its way. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, has COP28 been compromised? So, Damien, you get a response and it has the markings of not just COP, but the UAE's state oil company, ADNOC. What did you make of that? I had an inkling that something was amiss because earlier in the year when the um, UAE had won the presidency of the climate summit, uh, there was some reporting suggesting that it had been set up initially in the offices of the oil company. Wow. And so wrote back to them and said, what's that doing there? And um, they got a tiny bit flustered and said that uh, they had consulted a number of stakeholders in terms of forming a response to my article. Hmm. That was bad enough. You know, like you're asking questions of the UN Climate Summit's presidency and it's consulting the state oil company in terms of how to respond. But based on, you know, this previous reporting that suggested that the ties were much closer than they should have been, I also asked them, is their email system separate from the oil company? And they gave me a category statement on the record. They said it was completely separate in a different building uh, with a firewall and operated by a different IT team. Hmm, okay. But you weren't convinced. So what did you do next? So I found a couple of very helpful experts in email security and and traceability and uh, sent all the headers of the um, email chain. And usefully, I also had an email chain from a few weeks earlier when I'd been in touch with the oil company itself. Huh. And, And what did the experts tell you? 
I'm going to be honest, my mind was a little bit blown when I was talking to the tech experts, <laughs> but they were able to talk me through and show me that what you find in an email is not just the text that you see when you look at it in your uh, browser. Um, there's also hidden information in what's called the header, and that has a huge amount of technical information, which is completely not understandable uh, to a sort of normal human being when you look at it. But there are tools that you can use to extract that information and then link it to um, particular servers. Aha. Uh-huh. And, and what did this technical information reveal? So by comparing these headers from the two email chains and and doing various other bits of assessment, the um, IT security experts came back to me and said, do you know what, Damien, they say that it's completely separate. It's not. What happens is that when the COP28 climate office sends an email, it leaves their server and then goes through an adnoc server and off to its destination. And the same happens in reverse when you send an email to the COP28 office. So all the email in and all the email out of the COP28 office was going through servers uh, run by the oil company. And therefore, that made it fairly clear that if the oil company had wanted to read all the communications going in and out, then they could have done. Is that right? They could have read any email that was being sent to COP? Absolutely, yeah. This is an unbelievable situation. Let's get to the bottom of it. Starting with, how did the UAE come to be the host of this year's COP summit, which will be held in the Emirates in November? Yeah, essentially they uh, volunteered. So the COP, as they call it, the Conference of the Parties of the UN Climate Change Organization happens once a year. And the presidency rotates between the five UN regions of the world, so Africa, Asia Pacific and so on. And so this time it came around to the region that included the Middle East. And um, essentially they put their hands up because it's really expensive to run a COP. So actually there's not that many people who want to do it. And if uh, their peers in that region agree, they put their names forward and then the, uh, the UN accepts it if they think they've got the capability to do so. They've got to you know, put on a show for 50,000 people, mm. um, which is a hell of a logistic challenge. Even the biggest conference centres uh, aren't always able to cope with that. And certainly, having been to a number of COPs, the Wi-Fi often doesn't work and so on. But uh, more importantly, um, I actually looked this up on the UN website earlier. The COP president's role involves, quote, developing a vision for the best possible outcome of the meeting. And it's like a pretty prestigious thing to be hosting, right? Like the whole world's attention is on your city, on your country for a few days. Absolutely. I think there's um, certainly an attraction of hosting a COP despite the expenses, that sort of geopolitical buffing of your um, image. Here in the UAE, we believe that climate action is an opportunity that offers new promise to people and our planet. So Damien, what is the UAE's reputation when it comes to fighting global heating? I think it's probably better to start with um, its reputation in causing global heating because it's one of the biggest uh, oil and gas producers in the world. Hmm. On the other hand, they um, have established uh, quite some time ago a big uh, company called Mazda, which is a renewable energy initiative, you know, looking to invest or has invested around $100 billion in renewable energy projects. Um, hmm. They're also uh, putting money into carbon capture and storage and so on. 
But the problem is that their investments in oil and gas production and exploration and developing new fields is, is even bigger. And the biggest problem is that they are looking to expand their oil and gas production at a time where we need to be phasing it down towards zero. So it's not the case that they're only doing one thing and, and not the other. They're kind of doing both. But the uh, the scale of the fossil fuel side is certainly much bigger. Okay. And Tell me about the person running it, the president of this year's COP, Sultan Ahmad Al-Jaber. Well, this gets to the nub of it, right? So um, Sultan Al-Jaber is the UAE's climate envoy, which makes sense. Um, He's also the founding CEO and chairman of Mazda, the renewable company, which again makes sense. Um, So far, so good. So far, so good. (laughs) He's also the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. But as you'll imagine, Mike, there's a a but coming. uh, Mm -hmm. And the but is that he's the CEO of the state oil company. Right. Yeah, he's in charge of that uh, massive oil and gas producer. So that seems like a lot of different hats that he's wearing. On the one hand, he's piloting these major green energy projects. On the other hand, he's the CEO of the state oil company. Is he possibly planning to scale the operations of that oil company down to zero over the next years? Uh, No, certainly not. Um, So uh, some reporting I did um, a couple of months ago uh, found that in terms of the oil and gas that we definitely will not need in the net zero world, the UAE has the third biggest plans in the world. Um, after Saudi and Qatar, I think. So um, really going in the opposite direction in terms of um, investing many, many billions of dollars into new oil and gas fields, which um, we do not need. We know from the International Energy Agency, from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and a whole bunch of different scientific studies that we have to keep nearly all the oil and gas in the ground that's there at the moment. We can't afford to be taking more out. I mean, the, the IEA said that any new oil and gas projects after 2021, so you know, a year and a half ago, uh, were incompatible with net zero. And yet, you know, all the oil and gas companies around the world are uh, happily looking forward to producing more oil and gas. Has Sultan Al-Jaber addressed the conflict of interest directly? That on the one hand, he's trying to oversee this conference to reduce emissions, but on the other hand, he's the CEO of a company that in a very direct way depends on this activity that leads to emissions. Like, How does he reconcile the two? So I don't think Sultan Shapur really sees it as a, a conflict. You know, he presents it as a, a, a positive uh, in terms of his simultaneously being in charge of a big oil and gas company and being um, the climate president. Hmm. He, he, he argues that you know if we're going to transition to a world where uh, we no longer rely on fossil fuels to the extent that we do and eventually get to net zero emissions, then oil companies uh, are going to have to be part of that transition and therefore uh, the UAE as being you know, a big player uh, in that world is in a, a good position to shepherd that transition. Making a dent in the climate crisis is not just about decarbonizing oil and gas operations. With the right incentives, the right technologies, the right mindset, and the right partnership model, the oil and gas industry has the capacity and has the resources to help everyone. Keep in mind that power generation is the sector where the biggest impact can be made in the shortest amount of time. 
Okay, and so we'll get to the kind of cop that Sultan Al-Jaber is putting together in a moment, but it was in the course of reporting your story about the emails that you came across another strange phenomena. Tell me about that. Yeah, very strange. So if you go onto Twitter, certainly you'll see criticisms of UAE's COP28 presidency, but um, you will also see a fair amount of praise and phrases like Sultan Al-Jaber is the climate ally that the uh, climate movement needs uh, and various other things. Okay, so there's people out there who are supportive of his presidency. There are. And some are genuine, but what I found out was that um, quite a lot of them are fake, in fact, fake social media profiles. There's a, an academic in Qatar called Marco and Jones who specialises in this, and uh, he'd, he'd found um, an army, really, of uh, more than 100 fake social media profiles, all um, you know, fluffing the UAE's uh, image. So a lot of, of this support, this kind of supportive noise that you see on the internet probably isn't real at all. It's like the product of some kind of influence campaign. Yeah, it's hard to know what proportion of the praise comes from the fake profiles because they're pretty hard to um, track down. And one thing is that as soon as you mention you found one, they uh, disappear and uh, reappear under a, a different handle. But um, it was uh, yeah, I mean, it was quite ridiculous in some of the cases. So uh, there was one profile that had an AI-generated profile picture but whoever was behind it had failed to crop out the name of the website that generated uh, that AI picture. And the name of that website is IamNotARealPerson.com. Uh, okay. So that, <laughs> that label was still on the Kind of a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And there's lots of other clues. Um, so, you know, uh, these profiles tend to get batch created. So they all join Twitter at the same time. Uh, some of them, you know, kind of uh, back up each other. Um, so on Medium, for example, some of the fake bloggers were um, uh, praising in the comments other fake bloggers. And yeah, well, there's lots of, lots of ways of spotting the fakes. And so did you put the existence of this like seemingly coordinated campaign to try to boost public sentiment around the UAE to the COP organisers? What did they say about it? I did. So um, first of all, I'll tell you what Marco and Jones thought. He specialised in this for the last 10 years in terms of disinformation in the Middle East. Um, he told me that the UAE is uh, one of the biggest users of fake social media profiles in the world um, after China. And also that in his experience, these campaigns tend to be organised by some sort of you know, strategic comms organisation on behalf of the, the government. I did put all this to the uh, COP28 office. Um, they said that uh, you know, these didn't have anything to do with them. And they even said to me that uh, this campaign by the fake social media uh, bots was, quote, clearly designed to discredit COP28 and the climate process, um, huh. which made me scratch my head a little, if I'm honest, because what they were doing was kind of boosting the reputation of it. But uh, anyway, that was their response. But they were saying that they were boosting the reputation in, in such a shoddy way that actually it was about trying to make the UAE look bad. Yeah, yeah, follow that logic. And incredibly, this bot network you're talking about is not the only effort that's been uncovered by somebody trying to push positive PR around this summit. No, absolutely. So uh, only a few weeks ago, the Guardian uh, reported that people had been burnishing the Wikipedia pages of uh, Sultan Al-Jaber. That old trick. (laughs) Yeah. And and again, not particularly uh, sophisticated in their 
method. So we know that one of the people who was making the edits worked in the COP28 office, and they got ticked off by the Wikipedia editors for not having declared their interest and were told that changes being made by paid advocates was frowned upon um, by Wikipedia. How do we know that? How do we know that the changes were made by, by somebody working in the COP28 office? So if you, you if you go to Wikipedia, you can click through all the pages and you can follow like pages and pages of uh, information about what edits were made, when and by whom. Um, and then, of course, we put it all to the um, you know, COP20 office, so um, you know that wasn't uh, that wasn't denied. Okay. So the sort of things they were doing was was trying to sort of downplay his oil and gas links. Um, so, for example, trying to get removed a 2019 four billion dollar deal for new oil pipelines, and instead inserts praise such as from a Bloomberg editorial saying that uh, Sultan Al Jaber was you know just the right man for the job. So, uh, mm. yeah, they said it was all fact-based, you know, and, uh, but it was, um, you know, it was clearly a sort of polishing exercise. Is it, is it pretty unusual that COP summits are surrounded by this kind of intrigue, you know, by, by influence campaigns and email servers being shared with oil companies? Like, is this strange compared to previous COPs? Yeah, yeah, it is, certainly. I certainly haven't come across fake social media profiles, you know, promoting a, a presidency. And, you know, certainly there hasn't even been a CEO of any company running it, let alone the CEO of an oil company. Coming up, so it hasn't been the smoothest road to this year's COP summit. But what can we expect when it begins in November? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus.
Let's put our differences aside. Fight climate change, not each other. Let's stop deliberating and start focusing on delivery. And let's make COP28 a COP of unity, a COP of action, a COP for all, a COP that will shape a better future. Damien, you've told us that the countries that traditionally host COP are trying to set the agenda for the summit. You know, many of them spend months travelling around the world, trying to build momentum around the goals that they hope that they'll hit during the summit itself. What are the UAE's goals for this summit? And and how are they doing in trying to make them a reality about five months out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll give give you an example. So um, when France uh, hosted the, the Paris COP in 2015, you know, they were pushing really hard for at least a year beforehand. I remember being contacted myself by the French embassy, invited to events, you know, and that was just that was just me. But, you know, they're sort of travelling all over the world. The, the point is that when you arrive at a COP, you've got, you know, two weeks to get this kind of huge, complicated group of countries and interests on the same page with an agreement that's as ambitious as possible. So essentially you have to have almost everything ironed out before you arrive. If you arrive with everything to sort out, it, it doesn't happen. Mm. As far as we're aware, uh, Sultan Jabir has certainly been travelling around, um, talking to lots of people. He's talked about it as being a, a listening tour. Um, but there was an important moment um, just recently, which was that they have a preparatory meeting in Bonn in Germany, which is the sort of the, where the Secretariat for the UN Climate Conference is based. Um, so it's six months out. And Aldebar did go there, but he didn't really speak in public. He spoke to a couple of groups, the African group amongst others. And certainly the feeling that came out of that was that, you know, there wasn't the clear vision for what the best possible outcome of the COP28 meeting could be and that uh, time was running out to uh, set this out. Right. So it's not a clear vision, but like, do we have any idea what it entails? I mean, you know, Sultan Jabir said in public that you know he's interested in making progress in all the usual areas in terms of cutting emissions, in terms of providing funding to adapt to these impacts of climate change that are getting worse and worse, in terms of getting this loss and damage fund, which was a really big thing that was achieved at the last COP in Egypt, uh, which is a, a sort of fund uh, to compensate countries which have been damaged by climate change, particularly uh, the poor countries around the world. It doesn't have any money in it at the moment. Mm. So, you know, he, he's kind of saying we've got to move on all these things. But in terms of a sort of a, a bigger, more ambitious vision, it seems to be uh, missing at the moment. Has there been much pushback against his appointment as the president of this summit? Yeah, there has. I mean, it's been kind of mixed. So if you start with the, um, you know, the climate campaigners, um, they have been very vocal. History records will show that in 2023, for COP28, metaphorically speaking, we let a mosquito lead the fight against malaria. Christiana Figueroa is a really important person in the policy world. So she was the UN's environment chief in 2015, uh, which was a marquee year for the climate uh, process in that the Paris Agreement was signed that year, which was um, a major breakthrough in terms of trying to get all the countries of the world to act together. She thought that the UAE's approach was, uh, to quote, dangerous. It's very dangerous. I just don't see most countries, and certainly not the vulnerable countries, being willing to support the COP president on this because it is a direct threat on their survival. Simple as that. 
And there's certainly some legislators, politicians, both in uh, the US and the EU, about 130 of them, uh, wrote fairly recently to the, the UN Secretary General saying that um, Sultan Al-Jumur should be relieved of his job or at least step down from his CEO job of the uh, state oil company. Has anybody come out in support of, of the UAE's presidency of this summit? And I'm talking about, about real people here, not not the bots on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, there have been some actual real people and some quite important ones at that as well. So uh, Sultan Al-Jabur's presidency was announced in January and shortly afterwards, you know, a number of people uh, backed him. John Kerry, who's the uh, US president's special envoy on climate change and a former Secretary of State. Uh, Franz Timmermans, who's the mm. European uh, vice president in charge of climate action for the EU. So, you know, plenty of people uh, getting behind him. I mean, just more recently, he got the backing of another CEO, um, which was from the another oil giant called BP, who said he was just the right man for oh, the job. So uh, that won't surprise many people. But there's a, there's a sort of political side to this because, you know, calling for somebody to go who may not go and then you have to deal with in the next few months in something really important is problematic. So I know that a number of people in the in, in the sort of climate policy area who've spoken to me have wanted to be kind of off the record and just say, you know, we, we, we told them this was going to be a problem. We told them this was, you know, a car crash waiting to happen, but they didn't listen. So, you know, now they're going to have to find a way out of it. Mm. And so five months out, this summit is already mired in scandal, lots of weird stuff around bots and emails. Is there any risk that this entire model of trying to fight the climate crisis loses credibility because of decisions like giving the presidency to the UAE, that you know we don't get the balance right between appeasing the status quo and pushing for change that everybody now recognises is necessary, is overdue. Yeah, but I should say that, you know, criticisms of the of the COP process are an annual event. And the, the difficulty is that it works by consensus. The UN is not a organisation that can tell countries what to do. It can convene them and try and get them to agree. And therefore, if you have a consensus-based process, then it tends to move at the pace of the slowest. And certainly, mm. you know, countries like Saudi Arabia have been pretty good at throwing spanners in the works over the years. The difficulty with that criticism, and it's a perfectly fair one, is the what's the alternative? You know, and I think that most people in in the climate space, um, and you know, myself included, having reported on it for fifteen years, think that COP's a pretty terrible way to do it. Apart from compared to all the others, you know, sure. it's 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 the least worst. It's the it's the only real option to try and get these um, countries around the table and and you know, making progress. But, I mean, this COP, like the previous ones, takes place in a setting where we're being told global heating is getting rapidly worse and what's needed is radical action to counter it. It sounds like that radical action isn't going to come from the UAE in November. Well, this is the, this is the you know, going to be the acid test, right? So my opinion would be that at best it's a gamble, right, to have a petro state hosting the climate summit and to have the president of that climate summit, the CEO of a, a very big oil and gas company. So at best, it's a gamble. At worst? Well, let me say, if he pulls it off, you know, and, and there's really big change in terms of oil and gas companies changing their uh, plans and behaviours, of which we see no sign so far. But, you know, if he pulls it off, then, yeah, it will be a kind of incredible uh, feat. 
at worst, if it doesn't happen, then we'll have wasted yet another year, um, mm. at a time when things are getting worse, you know, week by week, month by month. Um, you know, the next 12 months is going to, it's really going to start hitting home because we've got this climate phenomenon called El Nino, which is a natural cycle. But when that happens, temperatures rise even higher. Uh, on top of the global warming trend. And so we've already seen heat waves in oceans and in Puerto Rico and China so far this year. So, you know, the world's going to feel pretty uh, uh, aflame uh, whilst this all happens. Damien, thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. That was Damien Carrington, an environment editor at The Guardian. You can read all his coverage of COP28 and its various controversies at theguardian.com. Before we go, in response to allegations, they shared an email server with Adnoc. The COP organisers said, For the past few months, COP28 has been using a dedicated Microsoft 365 tenant and email service. We have been migrating our data from the previous host to our own setup. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Eli Block and Natalie Ktenap. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.